Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 299 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? Well, I have to tell you, yes. and I think everyone just needs to brace themselves okay. at this point because mm-hmm. I am a little bit excited. Okay. Why, why, why is that? Because I finished my manuscript. Oh, my goodness. I trapped well that fat done. spider that I was searching yes. for all those episodes ago. That's yes. so good. That's very inspiring. You can get there in the end. Oh, to, uh, it was, you know, like I have to say it is a hot mess. <laughs> I am going to actually put that out there right now. It is a hot mess. Um, but it is a complete hot mess yes. with all of the threads pulled together. So I'm pretty happy that I've at least managed to wrangle it into, you know, this happens, that happens, yada, yada, yada. Brilliant. It all comes together in the end. That's a very exciting moment. Um, and so now I've now I've got to go back. And so what I do when I'm writing is, as you know, I like to push forward, push forward, push forward. So I have got notes, you know, in red to mm. myself, red capital letters all the way through this manuscript, rewrite this section with this character involved, mm. do this. This is where you need to, you know, I've, so I've got note to self all over the place. And um, so now I've got to, I'm going to have a little break from it. Yes. And then I have to go back with all of those notes to self. And I'm going to be so cranky with past Alison at that point um, <laughs> for not having actually clarified this a little bit more. But at least, you know, I've, I've got a bit of an idea of where it's going and what I'm doing. So that's good. Very exciting. Happy. I'm pretty happy. I think it, it's about 58, I think it's about 58,000 words. So it'll probably end up around maybe around 60, I think, mm. by the time it's done. And uh, Are you having a, a break or are you going to like a tackle it straight away? No, no, I'm going to have a break. I need, mm. a, I, need to, I need to just sort of like put it aside for a little while because it's, it's complete. So now I can, I can rest for a minute knowing that at least it's all there um, and I need to go and do – I've got other things I need to do now, so I'm going to go and do that and then uh, I'll come back to it. You know, I've got school holidays to deal with. I can't be doing editing in the school holidays. Oh, yes. um, so I will come back, you know, I don't know, maybe four weeks' time or so and yeah. I'll have another look at it at that point. Yeah. Cool. You've mm. been busy. Well done. That's so productive. Oh, it's just, it's, again, it's a relief. Like I, I, I think we've talked about this earlier because this has taken a little bit longer than they normally do for me in the sense that, and I think it was because I, I have been so busy um, with, you know, events and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it kind of, it really interrupts your flow as far as, you know, I did feel like it was like a hundred words at a time there mm. for a while. Um, mm. And I did wonder if I was ever going to actually get to the end of it. Uh, but you always kind of feel like that. I think it's just that one step in front, you know, one foot in front of the other stuff. Sometimes you aren't quite sure if you're going to get to the other end of it, but then, yep. you know, hopefully you do. Um, but, yeah, there's still, as I said, it's a hot mess. There's a bit of work to do, yeah. Mm, mm. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yay. How about the um, – Oh, just, to- just be- can we just before we go further, yes. I just want to – can I just do a big shout-out and on. a very big thank you to everyone who was involved in hashtag write a book with Al with yes. me um, as we went through and did that because, um, you know, it was it was a great 
tool. Like I know lots of mm. people thanked me to say thank you so much for keeping me accountable, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? Thank you so much for keeping mm. me accountable because if it hadn't been for the fact that I had to keep showing up yep. for that, yep. knowing that you were there, um, I think I'd still be doing 100 words a day now. We'd still oh, be accountability working. is a fantastic yeah. thing. And if yeah. you can, if that's what uh, it takes for you to be motivated, to show up, to write the words or whatever it is that you committed to, it doesn't have to be about writing, then um, make sure you have some form of accountability because it's it's just such a useful and productive tool. Absolutely. Do you and it was in- great. We had a real, like there was a real team there. There was a yeah. group of, of people that were there pretty much every single day and I know that there were several manuscripts that were finished. There are people who are editing stuff. Mm. Like it's there, it, it was it was a good uh, community exercise and, um, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who, who did that with me because uh, it, it's incredibly useful. It's people power. It kind of pushes Absolutely. you all the way through a manuscript. Yeah. yeah. And the so thing thanks. is that because there isn't a set deadline, like because a publisher isn't saying you must deliver this to me by Friday, it is very hard to get motivated. So that's well, to, it's just easy to know. put off, isn't it? Exactly. Like it's just so Christ. easy to go, oh, look, I'm too busy. I'm just going to do – I've, mm. I've done all of these things mm-hmm. today. The You know, the world is not going to come to a halt if I don't put my 200 words on, blah, mm. blah, blah. Um, and if you do that every day for a month, then you don't write a single thing. So, yeah. um, so true. just, yeah, it, the accountability factor. I think that's one of the reasons that I um, created that creative writing boot camp was precisely mm. for that reason. It was just that – all right, this is what I have to do. This is what I've got, you know, day by day by day. And it's just that notion that you, you, you've you got somebody, you know, there's someone who cares yes. <laughs> about what you're doing. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's something that even though I've always understood it intellectually my whole life, of course, because it's not that hard a concept to grasp, it's yeah. really only in the recent years that I've truly harnessed it. So don't be don't be like me, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace it a lot earlier than I have. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I just wanted to bring up the – I posted it on Facebook and I emailed it to you, the Elizabeth Gilbert cover of her book, City of Girls, mm. which I'm still in shock about mm. because I thought when I first saw it on Facebook – that it was just this urban myth and someone had photoshopped typos into Elizabeth Gilbert's book, which who, of course, is the one who wrote Big Magic and Eat, Pray, Love and ridiculously successful bestseller and um, uh, TED Talk and all the rest of it. Um, and her newest book uh, is City of Girls. And, yeah, there's a honking big typo on the cover or actually a couple it's like the graphic designer whoever designed the cover kind of just put in some filler text and no one came back to fix it Mm. and um it's it's I just find it confounding (laughs) it's yeah I mean I get I mean we have talked before about how you know the bigger the the bigger the text Mm. and the less of it there is actually the harder it is to see um, typos sometimes and I, that's all I can think has happened is that it's yes. just or, or everyone's assumed that someone else has has, has checked signed it. it off yeah and I yeah. because I thought it was an internet myth an urban myth I didn't quite believe it at first and then I was at a bookshop and there it was right there so in case you missed it um, it says uh, Elizabeth Gilbert City of Girls author of the the multi-million copy 
bestseller, Eat, Pray, Love, which also is nonsensical apart from having two these. So very strange. Anyway, mm. let us move on. It's just something I Let like. us move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, us. Look, I'm sure it happens in other books too and, of course, typos creep in in actual books as well, um, yeah. you know, in, in inside because we're all human. But It's just surprising and something that would have had such a massive print run as well. Yeah. Anyway, um, in the world of writing and publishing, you have a great link for us from Alan Baxter's site, right? It's a cool post that he wrote. Yeah, so Alan Baxter is, um, as you guys might remember, we interviewed him many episodes yeah. ago and I cannot remember which one it was. Val, maybe you want to look that up for me sure. while I chat, while we <laughs> chat amongst ourselves. Um, but Alan Baxter is a writer of, uh, of horror and urban thriller um, and he, we interviewed him many episodes ago. And he, Episode we had great- 120. There you go. We had a great chat about writing fight scenes. Uh, you guys might remember that. Um, but anyway, he's written a lot of books. Like he's a he's a successful author. He's written he multi published, does very well. Um, and the reason I shared this was because it came out of a discussion that we had in the group um, in the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community um, about you know manuscripts and how difficult they are and you know how do you how why how do you know when to push on with them and not to and all of this kind of stuff. There was a bit of a conversation that went on and about the same time Alan put up this post which is called When You Realize Your Book Is Broken um, and I I found it quite an interesting post because he wrote it on the day that his latest new book came out. He's written a, a new uh, anthology, like a new anthology of short stories. Um, and it, it came out um, on this day. But on that day that it came out, he wrote this post about the fact that the manuscript that he is working on, because obviously, you know, like he's working on next year's book, um, is he was, as he says, the current novel I'm working on that I'm about 62,000 words into, so mm. maybe three quarters or so done because he writes a longer book, is broken. And I mean really busted. The central premise for one major part of the story is so flawed the whole book falls down around it. Mm. So I, yeah, which is a huge revelation to, to find yourself involved in a 62,000 words into your wow. story. Yeah. Um, and it, it was an interesting one because it's that whole notion of how do you know that the book is broken? How do you know that it's just not um, you know, not you're not having a bad day or you're mm. not, you know, it's not imposter syndrome or it's mm. it's something like that. And he kind of goes through why he's worked out, you know, how how he's worked it out. And as I say, this is a very experienced author. Yes. If you're a first time author, it's not always easy to see this stuff because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know and you haven't done it before and that kind of thing. But he sort of talked about the fact that he's been kind of faffing about in the third act, you know, for a while, trying to figure out why he, he's reluctant to keep writing, trying to convince himself to trust in the story, et cetera. Mm. Um, but he's realised that the actual story is not working. The premise is, is, is sound. Um, the fundamental ideas are great. Um, but there's two primary threads to the story. One of them is working brilliantly and the other one has a fatal flaw and he has to go back and, you know, he said he can fix it, but it's going to require an enormous amount of thinking. He's got to restructure that whole core thread that isn't working, Mm. which means, yeah, it's like, you know, you've pretty much got to take the house apart 
to work out which of the, you know, how to fix the foundation that's yeah. not, you know, holding up that section. Um, and I just thought, you know, I thought it was a great post from such a successful and multi-published author because mm, I, I thought, absolutely. you know, the, the idea of recognising mm. that it's not working, that this particular book is just not working um, and why. Because, you know, I wrote a manuscript last year um, and I, you know, I wrote the whole thing and I really, really love it. Um, but it wasn't kind of getting the response that I wanted and I couldn't figure out why. So I gave it to a friend of mine who's a very experienced editor um, and I, uh, you know, a professional manuscript assessment on it to try and get to the bottom of what the problem was with mm. this thing. And she came back and she told me straight out what the problem was. And it was something that, you know, I hadn't, I mean, I sort of knew, but not really, mm. um, because I hadn't realized it was, it, the problem was that I'd kind of mashed two things together and I needed to decide whether or not it was going to be one thing or the other thing. I needed yeah. to describe, decide if this manuscript was going to be a coming of age story or whether it was going to be a mystery story. And at the, at the way it's written at the moment, it's both of those things and therefore neither of those things and therefore it's wishy-washy. Mm. So I haven't done anything with that. Like that's that I wrote finished that one about a year ago and it's still sitting there and I'm still deciding what – I mean I can fix that too but it requires me working out which of those things I want this book to be and I haven't actually quite worked that out as yet. So there are decisions that you have to make sometimes. Like you're going to get to the end of a story and you're going to realise that that particular story is not right how are you going to fix it well that's when you need to get somebody with an experienced eye yes. in to have a look at it um in the case of alan his eye is clearly experienced <laughs> enough with his particular genre to know that what he's done here isn't going to cut it like he's going to he, he could keep pushing through yeah. and get to the end and then have to rewrite ninety thousand words mm. Or he goes back with the 60,000 that he has and fixes the foundations. Anyway, look, it's a really good post to have a look at if you're, you know, if you are struggling along the way with the story. Yeah. Um, it's at alanbaxteronline.com. Uh, it's A-L-A-N-B-A-X-T-E-R online. And um, def definitely worth having a look at it because I, I think, you know, it's good to know that other people, very experienced people, end up in similar, you know, every book is different. And it's almost like you go back to the beginning with every single book that you write yeah. um, because the process for each book is slightly different. So um, it's worth just having a read of what other people experience and what they do to address that situation, I think. And, of course, we'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. It's just um, scary that mo that moment of realisation and it's just, almost it's like this – thing that falls into you know the pit of your stomach yeah awful awful yeah. but it happens and we need to move on yes so um exactly what alan is going to do he is going to move on because he is a professional oh there yes. is a slight bit of language warning that comes with that post by the way yes yeah. just a slight one all yeah. right we have a big um announcement about uh, a new course that is only available actually to graduates of our course, Writing Picture Books, and it is the Writing P Picture Books Masterclass. So that's mm -hmm. launching soon and it's going to give you the tools and insight to structurally edit your picture book manuscript and pitch it to publishers. Ah. So fiction editor Kathy Tasker has packed decades' worth of knowledge into 10 self-paced modules including valuable techniques you'll be able to apply to every picture book you write. So if you're a graduate of Writing Picture Books, the foundation course, it's a must-do if you if you want to get published because 
it is, I've been through the whole course. It's absolutely brilliant and it really, really helps you understand what is essential in a picture book because sometimes you have a great idea for a picture book and you can write it and you can follow the rules, but there's a few other nuances that it's important to know about the industry, about gatekeepers, about the people who actually buy the picture book as opposed to the people who read the picture book that you know th- that you need to factor in. So you can register your interest to be the first in the know at writerscentercomau slash PB for picture book, PB masterclass. That's writerscenter.com.au slash PB masterclass. If you haven't yet done the foundation course, writing picture books, then go check that out at writercenter.com.au slash picture books. Now, I'm really excited about a competition this week. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> Like, are we going to do the whole we thing as a, music, as a musical? <laughs> Can you imagine? So you want to be a writer, the musical. Well, we've got oh the book. Oh, my God, that would be great. Surely the musical is the next step. Oh, that would be so much fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, okay. That's a conversation for another day. Yeah, that is but for another day. <laughs> we have three copies of The Last Voyage of Mrs. Henry Parker by Joanna Nell, who is, of course, alumna of the Australian Writers' Centre. And we've interviewed her before on the podcast. And she is, um, she's such a good writer. She's her, awesome. Yeah, her first <laughs> book awesome. was the best-selling The Single Ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village, and it went so well. And now this is her follow-up. Well, this is her second book. Um, As the wife of retired ship's doctor, Dr. Henry Parker, Evelyn is living out her twilight years aboard the Golden Sunset. Every night she dresses for dinner, gown, tiara, runners, and regales her fellow passengers with stories of a glamorous life travelling the world in luxury. But when Henry goes missing, Evelyn sets off to search every part of the Grand Ocean Liner to find him. If only she could remember the events of the night before as clearly as she can recall the first time she met Henry in 1953 and fell in love. The Last Voyage of Mrs. Henry Parker is a love letter to the memories we make over the course of a lifetime and how the heart remembers what matters, even when the mind has long forgotten. Now, to win one of three copies of Joanna Nell's book, go to writercentre.com au slash win entries close on the 30th of september that's writercenter.com.au slash win and i'm super excited because this weekend i'm going to the book launch of this book and i just can't wait i know it's going to be a cracker and if anyone missed it joanna um wrote in one of the weekend newspapers i think it was sunday life an article on her two years that she spent as a ship's doctor on cruise ships. There you go. Yes. So obviously this has been inspired by certain life experiences. Um, But, yeah, I can't wait to read the book and I can't wait to go to the launch. So make sure you enter so that you have a chance to win one of these books. Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I'm ready for the word of the week, Valerie. Good. So the word of the week is pellucid. That's P-E-L-L-U-C-I-D, pellucid. Have you heard of it? I have not heard of it. It's a good one, isn't it? So you might think that this word is related to lucid because of, you know, pellucid, which means clear and can also mean easily understood. Well, pellucid means very clear and translucent. So you might say 
that the river was so pellucid you could see to the very bottom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might say that. Yes, mm-hmm. you might. I you think might. so. <laughs> I like it. So that's a good one, pellucid. Try and use that in a sentence, everyone. Yes. All right. Let yes. us move on to our writer in residence this week. Who is it? Oh, it's very exciting because this week we are speaking to the amazing Juliette Marillia and she is a hugely successful and quite amazing um, fantasy author, mm. um, author of historical fantasy. We had a bit of a chat about fantasy and the various genres, you know, the various subgenres within fantasy. Um, but it's a great chat. She's got a new book coming out called, or out now actually called The Harp of Kings, um, which I read recently, uh, very much enjoyed. It's a bit creepy. She's She's got, <laughs> she brings in a lot of, well, she does, she brings in a lot of sort of mythology stuff that's kind of you know a little bit creepy and she's mm. she's great she's very very good with words I will and world building just amazing um so I yeah enjoy because I really did Juliette Marillia is an internationally published award-winning author of 23 fantasy novels predominantly writing historical fantasy her latest novel The Harp of Kings is out now through Pan Macmillan in Australia and Penguin Random House in the United States welcome to the program Juliet thank you very much for having me all right, so we're going to go back in time a little bit here so because obviously like 23 fantasy novels are not written overnight. So we're going to go back in time a bit. Can you tell us how your first ever novel came to be published? Sure, yes. It feels like a very – it does feel like a long ago in another life. Um, <laughs> I wrote Daughter of the Forest not intending to send it in for publication. I knew nothing about the publishing process. Um, I actually wrote that book – after recovering from a rather messy marriage breakup and sort of putting myself together for a few years. And so I think it was the book in which I spilled out all the, you know, the churning emotions and so forth that I'd been through. Um, I had always loved the fairy tale of Six Swans. And so I thought, well, I would love to write a story in which that is not simply a fairy tale with the archetypal fairy tale characters but one in which there's a real family because well maybe I was thinking about family crises and I thought that experience um, where there's the stepmother who doesn't like the children and she puts a spell on the brothers and they're turned into swans and the girl is left having to rescue them by a very grueling and difficult method Um, that was the sort of crisis that would really disrupt a family and it would reveal who was strong and who was weaker, you know, who could who could survive, who could support the others and so forth. So there was a real family drama there um, and that was what I wanted to write. So a combination of the, the, the elements of, of sort of human struggle and challenges and strength and weakness and the lovely fairy tale with its swan imagery and... Um, so that was the story I thought I'd like to write and I wrote that very part-time while um, I was a single parent at the, most of the time and um, I had a day job to keep things together and so I wrote it in dribs and drabs over a, fair, a relatively lengthy sort of two, three years and then oh, it's finished and I thought, well, this is actually not too bad. Far too embarrassed to show it to anyone I knew because I thought, oh, they're going to just you know, what if someone looks at it and says, 
there, there, dear, and pats me on the head and <laughs> gets, you know, put away. Um, so I had no confidence in, very little confidence in it's seeing the light of day in published form. But back then, um, Fremantle Press, which was then known as Fremantle Arts Centre Press, had a very generous policy of reading any manuscript that was sent in by a writer who was from Western Australia or who lived in Western Australia and giving some comments on it. So mm. I thought, well, this is this is good. It's going to go to someone who doesn't know me. I don't know them, so it won't hurt so much if they tell me it's rubbish and um, I can get a, an opinion. So I sent my completed manuscript to them and I also sent the first chapters of the second book, which it had sort of spawned in my imagination and an, an outline for a, for a three-book series and got a lovely letter back saying, we don't publish fantasy, which I, I knew already, uh, but how about sending this to one of these two major Australian publishers and seeing what they think? This was back in the mid-1990s, probably before the publishers were quite so strict about when or whether they would accept unsolicited manuscripts. Mm. So I looked at those two publishers. I don't think I had home internet at that stage, so it was probably running out and using the computer <laughs> in the library. And one of them, Pam McMillan, had a policy of reading unsolicited manuscripts and the other one didn't. So I sent my stuff into Pam McMillan and lo and behold was offered a three-book contract, which was... <laughs> Absolutely mind-boggling with a with a um, an advance that I won't tell you how much it was, but it was absolutely peanuts compared with you know what people get these days. But to me, it just was just you know it, it was an astonishing thing to happen. I think I was at work in my public service job um, and got a personal phone call that came through via the manager who had to sort of get me from my desk and so forth, and it was. Um, from Pan McMillan saying, you know, congratulations, we want to offer you a, offer you a contract. Um, that is the yeah. best story. I just love it. But was that the first thing that you'd ever written? Was that the first novel you ever wrote? Um, I'm just trying to think about, look, I, I, I do have some other novels that were written that didn't get sent in. Um, the only one I wrote, I think I've got... I've got a couple of unsuccessful attempts at a romance novel, which was submitted and came back with a nice comment saying, love the story, but basically it doesn't focus enough on the relationship between the characters. In other words, that's you know, exactly what much, I got. Too much stuff happening. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. That's exactly what I got. Yep. <laughs> and um, somewhere there's a handwritten fantasy novel that would be unpublishable, I think, that was written quite a long time ago. Um, but that's it, basically. So the only other ones that I have, have had submitted were those the, the two that went into one of the the, 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 um, the romance publishers. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so then let's talk about um, like so that was a obviously a fantasy novel. Why why do you think you write fantasy novels? Like why were you drawn to that? I think really I was drawn to that because. I grew up absolutely loving mythology and uh, folklore. <coughs> Sorry, folklore and fairy tales. Um, they were sort of lifeblood of, of me growing up. I mean, I, I read avidly everything, but um, possibly because my parents both have Scottish 
ancestry was a little dab of Irish mm. and my parents both loved books and they were both musicians. So, and the other thing is that I grew up in Dunedin, which is a very Scottish city in New Zealand. Um, it has, you know, all sorts of trappings of, of Scottish culture just because of the, the people who, who settled there. And um, so there's all of that combined to, to give me a love for that kind of story. And so I was just... I, I read them and read them and loved them and then went on reading them and loved, loving them as an adult um, while also sort of developing, you know, broader reading tastes. Um, to tell you the truth, I, even when I had written Daughter of the Forest, I hardly even knew that there was a literary genre called fantasy, which is odd um, because I had read, I'd, I'd read, you know, started with the Narnia books, adored The Lord of the Rings as a teenager, um, had read other books that count as fantasy like Marion Zimmer Bradley's um, Mists of Avalon and um, the uh, uh, Mary Stuart. Um, yeah, but I didn't think about genre. I just thought I'm going to write a version of this fairy tale that'll have real people in it and we'll see what those experiences do to them. And I don't, therefore, I, you know, I didn't come up through the ranks of young people who go to all the conventions and dress up and know all the science fiction and fantasy authors and their books. There's a whole cohort of people my age, quite elderly, who came up that way and who therefore have a far greater knowledge of their genre and the authors than, than I had. Back then, I, I'm sure I was more of a mainstream reader, um, literary fiction, what is sometimes called women's fiction, um, historical novels, and, you know, not much of the book with, with magic in it. Mm. Um, so I didn't know I was writing fantasy. I just started writing it as the answer to that question. Mm, okay. And since then, I've educated myself far more about what is being written and what are... Well, I think the fantasy genre has actually become far more diverse, mm. since, even since the time of my first novel. And... Um, has broadened out and has has subgroups and there's a lot of really brilliant stuff being written. Well, I guess just on that, that was a question I was going to ask you. Actually, is like this this idea that you write historical fantasy. Where does that fit in the fantasy genre? Like, is it a um, what what makes it fantasy? Is it the magic aspect of it? Well, yes, I think it is the 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 uncanny the presence of anything that is. Um, interesting I should have a great answer to this because I actually <laughs> presented a workshop on writing historical fantasy yesterday so I should have got my own PowerPoint in front of me to read out um, yeah I, I would say that it, even within that historical fantasy category there are different kinds of novel there's the the sort that I write which is based in terms of history and geography in our real world if yeah. somewhat loosely but has some sort of element that is not most people wouldn't recognise as actually real or true. So, um, magic, the uncanny, um, could be ghosts. It could be um, could be anything. But in in my books, I base the uncanny element on what the people of that time and culture would have believed. So, I think I, I do research into the mythology and and folklore, and I build that into the story as something real that coexists alongside the, the human world. Um, so that's one kind of historical fantasy. Um, there's 
alternative history, which probably fits into historical fantasy, I guess, um, where you're writing the real world, you're writing real history, but some key event is changed in your mm. history and that alters everything thereafter. That requires even more research than writing a, a real historical novel, I would think. Mm. Um, so there's that. And um, oh, a third category, um, I was doing this yesterday and I can't remember. Um, oh, yes, the, the, the wonderful invented world that is not quite our world but which is recognisable as our world all the same. And my prime example of those is the um, Cushiel's Legacy series by... American author Jacqueline Carey. Okay. Um, her world is clearly Renaissance Europe and goes broader in the later books. Um, the names of the characters are sort of like not quite French in one place, not quite Spanish in another place, but carefully crafted so you know what lies, what culture lies behind it. Same with character names. And it's just the most brilliantly realised fantasy which... One of the main elements in that is that in her home, in, in, in the, the, the place, the, the geographical place that's the basis for most of the story is sort of south of France. Um, she sets up a, a set of gods who are responsible for aspects of human existence, each one, and um, they all have their ad- adherents and their, their um, priestly characters and their, um, their beliefs. Um, and one in particular is responsible for uh, sexuality, sensuality, everything to do with the senses. And um, it's a book that you don't read if you, you sort of get upset by, I guess, you know, too much sexual, too much eroticism. Um, but it's beautifully twined into the story, so subtly twined in and, and um, gorgeously written. So I would recommend those to anyone who hasn't tried that sort of writing. She she is a wonderful writer. The first in that series is called Cushiel's Dart. Um, okay, so what then for you are the key components of a successful fantasy novel? Is it the world building that makes it fantasy? No, that's, that, that's one of them. And yeah. I think that you'd probably, if you were talking to readers, you'd get very different responses from different readers. So all I can say is that, you know, my this is my personal opinion, probably as a reader more than as a writer, the world is part of it, okay? So the world needs to be well-researched. And if a writer is jump, has a jumping-off-off point of real history, then the research of the real history and geography and all those components needs to be as carefully done as any magical elements. So there's the world building. That's that's one part of it. It has to be done well. If you start to get to the stage of inventing elements of your world, you need to make sure that your world is internally consistent. That's terribly important. Yeah. And if you're going to invent things to go into your world, the, you know, the magical, uncanny, the unreal... Um, then all of that has to work well and it has to be plausible within the world that you've created. So one of the errors, I think, that some aspiring writers or trainee writers or whatever do is assuming that because it's fantasy, you can do whatever you like, you Mm -hmm. can chuck in whatever you want. Um, Nothing grates worse for me as a reader than an element that is incorrect for example, 
character names or place names that are just a jumble of borrowings from all sorts of cultures within our known world that don't mm. fit together. Mm. Um, that's, that's a common error. Um, you need to research your names. If you don't have a background in language, then you need to consult like languages other than your own. Um, you need to consult with somebody else before you use um, place names and, and so forth. Now I'm going to get into a minefield about yeah. um, you know something that's not what we're talking about. So that, there's that element. But for me, as a writer... Um, characters come first, the human interaction, the human drama, the challenges, the journey of the characters um, is absolutely foremost and the world of the book exists as a background to the, to the, to the human story unfolding. Um, I think that's, that's really important. Now, not every reader is going to go for that because some readers love an elaborately constructed world with complex magic and complex magic is, is certainly very interesting if it's well done, a world that hinges on some kind of system of magic that um, requires people in certain ways that are different from the world we know. That's, that's fascinating. So if, that's, if the magic is done well, um, if it's been well thought out, if it's original, um, then that's going to enhance the book greatly. And, and yeah, as I said, for some readers, that, that's more important than the story of the characters. But for me... Um, I need to be emotionally invested in the journeys of, of characters. Um, I really need to care about what happens to them, and um, you know that that is, in a sense, more important than the world. I guess the two work together. Do you start when you're writing a new book? Do you start with the character, and then the world comes with the character? Is that how it works for you? Um, I would say that in amongst fantasy writers i building a, a world is not my strongest <laughs> not my strength that is probably because i mean i i really admire those those writers who can create an entire world from their imagination i because i start with our known world and build from there um yes it has to work it has to work well but certainly with the current series i'm starting from a world that i've already created um Look, I think it needs to be to be well done. You need to know, as a writer, you need to know ten times as much about the world of your book as you ever put into the book, mm -hmm. um, because that'll just inform the way that you make characters speak and interact, and you know how how things pan out within the story. So, you either do your research or you do your invention of the world. I guess probably before you start. With me. Um, I, I wouldn't say characters come absolutely first, although with the current series, perhaps one of them did. Um, generally speaking, there'll be some idea, um, such as, you know, a turning point within the actual story, which is going to be the main thing, or it'll be, you know, you want to write a story on a particular, based on a particular theme, or you want to um, write characters who are markedly different. For instance, with the, my Blackthorn and Grimm series, having mostly featured young and, and uh, fairly heroic characters in my past series. I deliberately wanted to write a series with older and more flawed protagonists and to explore the theme of post-traumatic stress disorder. So that series had those, those, those features and from that, the central characters in that series very quickly made themselves known to me. So, um, you know, they followed in pretty much immediately after the, the idea or the theme. 
Um, so it's going to be different for everybody, I think. But I, I, I'm certainly not suggesting that a, a fantasy writer starting out should sit down and fill 10 notebooks with notes about the complex world in which their story will be set and then start yeah. looking for a story and a set of characters. The, the characters should be growing and developing in your mind right from the moment you start thinking about writing a book, I think. Okay, so let's let's have a talk about the new novel, which is The Harp of Kings, because character for me is a, is is a very strong component of that um, of that book, of the the accessibility and yes. the the yes. enjoyment of that book. Um, because I did very much enjoy it, and I really liked the fact that it, you've got the different points of view within that novel, which are all mm. different. Mm but they are equally compelling. Now, I felt like that was probably something that the balance of that, because there are um, three of them, um, the balance of that, was that something that you had to like really consider in the sense of, oh, I've focused too much on this one, I need to move on to the other one? Or, or was that just something that sort of naturally came out of the story? It was pretty organic, actually, the way, the way it unfolded. Um, I'd, for, for those who haven't read it, there's a, a female character, Levon, who is, really the main focus of the story and the two men Dow and Brock one of whom Brock is her brother Dow, Dow is unrelated um, all three of them take chapter chapter in turn um, I knew before I started that I was going to write in that format with the different styles and the different um, chapters and they're all in first person present tense which makes the story quite immediate yeah. um, Levon, I think I, I, I had thought, right, I'm going to write a character that, I guess she's a, she's a, a woman who represents what women, young women are striving to be like today in mm. general. She, she's um, very forthright, she's capable, she's big and strong, she's very talented, but she does have, well, she has a very strong sense of justice and right and wrong and sometimes gets herself into trouble by being unable to stop speaking out where perhaps holding back might be the wiser course of duty in the long run so um i think i it, you know she's a character that i did create for the the current day and age and the current female reader who um because women now are, are starting to speak out and refuse to be silenced and um where matters of justice, of justice are concerned, um, yeah. So she's she's a representative of that, but she's also very much an individual. She's also the child of some characters that were in a previous book of mine. So I had to sort of um, thought, you know, how will how will their daughter turn out? What character what characteristics will she inherit? So that's a, an extra little bonus for people who've read the Blackthorn and Grimm mm. series, but they don't need to have done that. This is no. a, a standalone series, so you know it's fine. And then, I guess, knowing where the story was going, because I always know the whole story before I start writing. I tweak, I tweak it as I go, but you know, I do know where I'm going. Ah. Um, the boys are not only characters created for their purpose within the story, but they're also a good trio to um, spark off each other. So we have Brock, who is um, Levon's brother, and is sensitive, artistic, and has some secrets that are revealed as the story progresses, but he's, he's, he's very much attuned to the needs of other people, and he's poetic. 
Um, Dow is an enigma at the start of the book, and I won't talk about him too much because his story gradually unfolds. But he's the character that we don't like very much at the start of the story and um, who has a lot to learn as we progress through uh, the, the adventure that they find themselves thrown into. So... Like I'm reading this book, and as you say, it's a definitely a standalone. Like you, it's a it's a complete story within the book. But I can also see that there is room in this uh, for for further story. Like there's obviously Most space yes. for that. So, like given, like you said, you you know what happens. Um, so does that mean that you plan everything out before you start? And if you do that, how do you do that with given the epic nature of some of the series that you have actually created? Uh some of the longer series, like Seven Waters, which had six books, um, that initially started as a trilogy with the fairy tale as the first book mm-hmm. and a follow-up because having written the first book, I thought, ah, this crisis that happened to these characters is going to have an impact on the next generation and the next generation. I wonder what would happen. And so that was how the Seven Waters series unfolded. With With this current series, The Harp of Kings, I have... In fact, worked out the entire story of all three books that there are going to be, mm. and so there's a you know the, the the complete in one book standalone story in each of the books, so they can be read separately. But there's also an overarching big story that goes right through the trilogy. Yeah. So, um, so when writing these three characters, I I do know where they're going. In fact, I've written the second book already, but it's at that stage where my editors are reading it and going through it with a fine tooth comb and about to send me the notes about what they'd like fixed up so so I know I know where we're going and then third book I have a, a broad outline not a whole lot of detail but I yes I do know where we're headed um, not everybody works that way a lot of writers do very well with just having a vague idea of where they're going to be at the end of the story sitting down and letting it flow and I salute people who can do that. I can't do that. I need to have the, the architecture in place to know that, you know, the house is not going to fall down when I finish <laughs> building it. But, um, you know, people do that, that seat of the pants, the pants are yep. method, and it works very well for a lot of excellent authors. It just means that once you've done that rough and dirty first draft of the book that most people do, you've got to go back and do lots and lots of rewriting. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't love rewriting. I, okay. I like to... Work slowly and try to get it right the first time, yeah. Well, so on that, like given the scope of your stories, do you and the fact that you are essentially, you know, like you've created, um, you know, essentially a book or more a year over the last, you know, 20-odd years, do mm-hmm. you um, structure your year in such a way as that you have a good bank of writing time each year and then promote your work only when you have a book coming out or are you attending events across the year? Like how how do you sort of like do the – balance of of the promotion versus the actual writing time changed slightly um i used to uh, when i first started out i had a full-time day job at the same time and i gradually eased out of that because it was necessary um these days um i it it feels odd at the moment because i actually had a few years when i didn't do a lot um and have just really picked it up again. But um, with the events, the conventions and so forth, um, if I'm invited to go to something, I try to go even if it's in a slightly awkward time of year. But certainly with with writing the book and and say sort of a year 
between starting and and um, submitting it to the publisher. During that year, I will be doing a lot of other things as well. I will be presenting workshops. I will be attending conventions. Um, with the the public appearances, they do tend to get clustered around the release of a new book. And at the time when I'm writing most frantically, which is usually just before it is usually submitted to the publisher, um, I don't do. I, I try to avoid, you know, needing to travel and do public appearances because I just like to hunker down like a hermit with my three dogs and work very hard and yeah. try to make sure it's as polished as possible. Really, it's not only the getting it finished, it's that once it's finished, um, once I reach the end, I have to go back, go through everything really carefully, make sure it's, you know, just as perfect as it really can be. So I don't get one of those... 17-page editorial report back from my publisher saying, change this, 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 and this. Um, I don't always get those, but they have been known in the past and they cause a great deal of stress. Yeah, so um, certainly I I do enjoy um, attending conventions, uh, science fiction and fantasy events. I feel like I'm among friends at those. It's sometimes a little bit hard to switch on the... Uh, whatever it is that you need to interact with a lot of people in a bright and loud setting for long days because most of my life is spent living alone with the dogs and a lot of quiet and a lot of time to write. Um, And so it tends to feel slightly bizarre. It feels like, you know, becoming a different person for a few days. But I I love meeting uh, meeting my readers and um, having a chat with them and... You know, talking about the books and particularly Supernova, which I enjoy, and I'm going to be at Supernova in Brisbane and Adelaide in November. Um, even if people don't come up to talk to you, there's always a parade of fabulous cosplay moving past. <laughs> Going and, past. You know, that, that is fun. And sometimes people dress up as my characters, which is lovely. So, mm. Yes, I've enjoyed that very much. So I, I see the con thing and, and, and it, I see a lot of, obviously I have a lot of friends who are fantasy or sci-fi writers or whatever and I see them mm, attending mm. as authors and I've often wondered about them. I've never been to one myself. So I'm, how do they work for an author? Like are they a way to build new fans or are they a way to connect with existing fans? Uh, both, I think. Um, Depends on on what it is, but the the conventions like um, Conflux and we have SwanCon here in Western Australia, um, they're a great opportunity to network with other authors, with other Mm. professionals, so that's that's one thing. Um, Generally, you will get an opportunity to be on some discussion panels on broad and general topics related to your genre, which is also good, so you can become known that way. Um, the existing fans will come along and and you have an opportunity to sign books and there's usually a bookseller there, so they'll sell sell books by all the authors who are attending. Um, yeah, the, the cons are, are variable. Um, some, I would say, is more serious than others. Some of them are very based around the sort of a certain die-hard fanish group that's been attending for years and years and years. And right. as I said before, because I didn't grow up in that particular, um, didn't grow up with that particular sort of genre interest, um, 
I can sometimes, uh, in the past I've sometimes found found that I was just floating around on the edges, you know, but I think that for a, I think they're a good place for a, a, a new for new authors to to be uh, just to talk to other writers and yep. find out what's going on, educate themselves about um, what readers are currently loving and enjoying, and um, sit in on a few of the discussion panels because there are some people with a lot of expertise there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think a sort of yeah, dabble your toes in the water and, and go to your local convention and just just see what it's like. It's, hmm. it's always good um, good experience. All right. Well, it's been very, very interesting chatting with you today, Juliet. We're going to finish up with our last uh, question that we always ask our our authors in residence, and that is for your uh, top three tips for writers. What have you got for our listeners? Okay. Well, number one is always read. Um, you can't be a, a good writer if you don't read for recreation. And um, because, you know, we can go on learning all our lives and improving what we do, then you keep on reading, which is terrific fun anyway. And don't just read the genre that you're writing in. So if it was me, I wouldn't only read fantasy or only read historical fantasy. You develop, you know, the most painless way of developing a great reading, a great writing style and expertise is by reading all sorts of genres. And you also have to read, you know, you read journalism, poetry, nonfiction, and literary fiction and genre fiction and, you know, just you know, read, read broadly and keep on reading. So that's number one. Number two is uh, recognise that you have to work hard to be a good writer. Mm. Um, you're not going to get sort of fame, glory and mega bucks with your first novel unless you write something pretty remarkable. Um, so work on your craft, um, whether that's, joining a writer's group and uh, learning to critique and learning to receive critique from other writers. Um, go along to uh, writers' festivals and listen to what people have to say. Read great books on your craft. Um, I'd recommend people might like to have a look at a, a website, writerunboxed.com, mm. which is a, an American um, blog with many contributors, one of whom is me, but it's not self-promotion. There's a lot of... You can promote. Fantastic. Do it. <laughs> it's about the craft and business of writing. And we actually share a lot. We, it is one of the ones that we uh, share on the Australian Writers' yes. Centre page a lot as well because um, yes. I find that the blog posts are always really considered and very, like there's a lot of useful information in them. They're not just wafty, yes. you know. Yes, yeah. and yes, so people can hop on there and actually put in a top, you know, search on a topic like self-publishing or voice or whatever and, and a bunch of excellent yeah. past posts will come up. So that's a good one that I'd recommend. So you work on your craft and don't expect instant success. Just keep keep working, keep trying. And um, the third one, which I know what it is, yes, okay. Don't try to second-guess the market. Don't think, right, what I must write is a... Uh, you know, a vampire novel or a or steampunk or yep. something. Um, you write the story that's busting to get out, the one that you really, really want to write, the one you feel passionate about. Don't worry about whether it'll sell um, because to write well, you need to believe in what you're writing. Um, so, you know, I did that with my first story. I wrote, as I said, you know, wrote it not intending to have it published. I wrote what spilled out of the heart 
and for you there'll be something there'll be a, a story there that you really want to tell that's the one you go for okay that is fantastic advice and uh, it's been a great pleasure to have you on today so thank you very much for joining us and of course you have a website where can people find you online julia it's uh, www.julietmarillia.com. Fantastic. And they can also find me on Facebook if they just, just look, search look for up. my name on Facebook. There's a Facebook page there too. Fantastic. All right. Well, best of luck with the with the new novel and uh, we'll, I'm looking forward to, to book two already. So thank you. Right. Um, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Alison. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Awesome, great interview with Juliet, Al. Yeah, so interesting. Like, I, I just think, um, you know, there's such a, there's such a huge scope within fantasy, and so much. You know, I, I really enjoyed our little discussion in there re- regarding character versus world building and where you start and how. You know, I think it's because um, when you've got to create an entire world in which to, you know, run your character through, it's mm. a it's a big it's a big thing. And um, I think she she breaks it down very nicely. Brilliant. All right. So, what are you doing in the coming week until we chat again? I am, what am I doing? Oh, do you know what I'm doing? I'll what? tell you what I'm doing. I am going to Sydney okay. because my young friend, Book Boy, a.k.a. <laughs> Joe Visser, yes. has a gig at the MCA on um, on Sunday night. At the so, MCA, at the Museum of Contemporary yeah, Art? They have this oh my great God. event that they run every quarter called MCA Gen X. And it's a it's specific, it's a youth event, so it's you can't go if you're over the age of eighteen. You might remember he did this last year. It was I, kind of towards the beginning of last year. He right. he went and he he got invited to come back. So that's Fantastic. nice. Um, but he yeah. So it's uh, only for twelve to eighteen year olds, and mm. it's 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 a it's sort of art and snacks, always snacks, nice. art and snacks and music and um and they they only sell a certain uh, not sell the tickets are all free, but you get a certain number of tickets, and it's just all kids you know under 18 um and it's just brilliant so he's got um the great thing about sort of having family and lots of friends in sydney is that he um you know there's always a we can always round up a bit of a posse to go with him so he's going to have a little support base there and then once when he's not playing i think mm. he's actually on the roof this time which is pretty oh, exciting wow. you and i would remember the roof yes. fondly from vivid <laughs> um i think he's up there and he's uh, so he, you know he'll have his posse and then when he's not actually doing his thing he'll be they'll be you know, rampaging around the MCA, looking at art and doing whatever it is that they do. So I'm kind of jealous mm-hmm. that I don't get to go because I really feel like it sounds like lots of fun, but I am most assuredly out of the age group. So what do you uh, do yeah. while he's busy doing that? Well, I'm meeting up with my with my sister and a couple of friends oh, yeah. and we'll just, you know, hang out and whatever. Um, and then, of course, he's off to work experience. So we're, yeah. you know, it's it's all, you know, next week will be holidays and, and up in up in Sydney pretty much doing that, which is fun. And then, 
you know, that's that's pretty much what we do. And I'm having a break from writing for the week, so that's nice. Yes, because you have reached a big milestone. Well done. I have ticked that box for now. That is so um, good. So, yes, I'm just having a – yeah, so I'm, I guess I'm right in, ready to go. I'm actually – this is the first time I think ever that I am in a position to embrace the school holidays because I'm not working to a deadline. Yeah. I'm not, you know, in the middle of some major thing. I've obviously got things to do because I am a working person, but it's not that big thing hanging over my head. So I'm pretty excited about that. Mm-mm. What about you? What will you be doing? What will I be doing? Apart from going to the book launch um, of Joanna Nell's book, um, I have – so what I recently did was called – you know, because Kate Forsyth recently posted a photo of her to-be-read bookshelf and it was like <laughs> massive. It's not just a it pile. like a to-be-read library? It's a library. It's massive. And I used to be like that. But And mine was growing to, to be that massive. But I know I had to be realistic and consider which ones do I uh, am I really going to read. So I did a bit of a cull. I still have a massive pile, but at least it's not a bookshelf. And unfortunately, that pile is being added to on a regular basis. But at least I'd Marie Kondo did a bit. And I want to make a dent because like two books arrived today and I, I need to basically knock some of that pile down. Right. Yes. There you go. Okay. Okay. That sounds like a cunning plan. I love it. But you know what stuffs it up? When Booktopia have free shipping, I'm a sucker for it. And... um just more books get added. Anyway, um, where do you find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, um, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. And if you're not already part of our Facebook group, make sure you join because it's awesome and there's some great conversations going on in there. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. It's free to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.